right? They're also going to get old like me, right? And like some of us. All right. Well, you know what? I would like to greet everyone. A happy Valentine's Day. Belated as it may be. Not belated happy birthday. You don't look a day over 63. You're 64, right? All right. Please continue to pray for Pastor Danny. He's still in Manila and he's learning a lot. And he's going to bring, I'm sure, his learnings to us and share them with us so that we may continue the work that God has given us here in CCFLA. Valentine's Day. Some of you went on a date. Some of you maybe had dinner. Some of you just maybe stayed at home, right? Now let me share with you some trivia. The Feast of St. Valentine is observed on February 14 each year. Duh. It's on the 14th, right? We always celebrate it on the 14th. It is celebrated in many countries around the world, although it remains a working day in most countries. Should be a holiday, right? St. Valentine's Day began as a liturgical celebration of one or more Christian saints named Valentinus. During his imprisonment, he said he is said to have healed the daughter of his jailer, Asterius. Now, why was he in jail? Legend states that before his execution, he wrote from Valentine, from your Valentine, as a farewell to her. The day was first associated with romantic love in the circle of Geoffrey Chaucer in the high Middle Ages when the tradition of courtly love flourished. By the 15th century, it had evolved into an occasion in which lovers expressed their love for each other by presenting flowers, offering confectionery or candies, sweets, sending greeting cards known as Valentines. Valentine's Day symbols that are used today include the heart-shaped outline, doves, and the figure of winged Cupid. Since the 19th century, handwritten valentines have given way to mass-produced greeting cards, hallmark, and what have you. St. Valentine was imprisoned because the government during that time prevented him and others from officiating marriages. They didn't want Christian marriages to come and to be officiated. So they put him in jail. And after some time, he sent that farewell note from your Valentine, and then he was executed. Many of you know that I've recently gotten a job, and last Friday, our professor said, how many of you did this? How many of that for Valentine's? Any proposals? And then one lady raised her hand. So the whole class, 40 of us, gave a clap. Wow. Anyway, I said, wait a Did she accept? You can propose, right? But what if it's not accepted? So I asked. Was it accepted? She said, yes. There you go. Now, mind you, be very careful about when and how you propose. Right? Bogey, we're going to show them a short clip. 
Audio please. On TV. In the basketball court. The guy doesn't look too happy, huh? Valentine's Day. Did you enjoy that? You've proposed. You can make an offer, right? But your desire is that offer will be accepted and that you can come into that special relationship with that loved one. Now, many of you have prepared maybe months or weeks in advance. How will I celebrate this Valentine's Day? How will, make, how will I make it more special than the last year? Well, let me share with you. The majority of Americans adore Valentine's Day, but like many other holidays, Valentine's Day has been commercialized. In 2011, it was projected that Americans spent $3.4 billion on dinners, $3.5 billion in jewelry, $1.1 billion for cards, and $1.7 billion for flowers. Total, $9.7 billion. I don't know how many zeros that has. CNN 2013 estimates, $130.97 amount, average amount spent by each person on Valentine's Day. Now, don't get your calculators out and start computing the value of the gift that your spouse gave you, okay? This is a national average, $130.97 you would spend on Valentine's. Total spending for Valentine's Day 2013, and the figures aren't in yet, could reach $18.6 This could probably be the national debt of one of the small countries in the Pacific, right? And Americans just spend all of this money on one day, on one meal, maybe for a bottle of wine, for a movie, I don't know. Of course, the women are waiting for the ring. You must be on say, put a ring on it. <laughs> right? That's her song, right? Yeah. Whatever. But I really can't appreciate coming from the Philippines what Valentine's really is all about. In the Philippines, we call Valentine's in Tagalog, ano? Valentina. Sino Valentina mo? May Valentina ka ba? Oh, ano ang Valentina sa atin? Hindi ba yan? Di ba si Valentina in the Philippine context? This is Valentina. And who is, his, who is her arch enemy? Darna. Darna! What's the big deal? Right? What's the big deal about love day? You have Cupid. 
Who's your Valentine? Right? What's it all about anyway? Isn't it all about a four-letter word called love? We go the extra mile. We would do things that we would not normally do because of love. There's an old song. I was going to show it. I mean, like play with you, name that tune. But I did that last year. So I decided not to. What I did for love. Those of you who are gray in the hair like me, you know that song, right? What I did for love. But Valentine's Day is not always pleasant. It is also infamous for a Valentine's Day massacre. On the morning of February 14, 1929, the lookouts, Harry and Phil Kewell, were watching carefully as the Moran gang assembled at the garage. Around 10.30, the lookouts recognized a man heading to the garage as Bugs Moran. The lookouts told the gunman. The gunman climbed into the stolen police car, and when the police car reached the garage, the four men jumped out. The Moran gang thought they were police, and the police were on their payroll, so they accommodated. They thought it was one of these things, a shakedown. Drop your guns. They did. Face the wall. They did. They didn't realize that these people were the goons of Al Capone. And this is what happened. The gunman opened fire using two Tommy guns, son of shotgun, and a 45. Killing was fast and bloody. Each of the seven victims received at least 15 bullets, mostly in the head and in the torso. Valentine's Day is a day of love, but can, it can also be remembered for this infamous event called the Valentine's Day Massacre. What, what is it about love? What is love anyway? Well, the Bible defines love for us. In the Bible, you have three words for love. One is phileo, which is a love that you have for your brother or your sister. That's where we get the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. There is another word for love called eros which means the erotic kind of love, which is the intimate physical love between a husband and a wife. I would not want to just call it love between a man and a woman because the Bible tells us of the concept and the institution of marriage. And there is a third kind of love, which is called agape, which is an unconditional love. And that's what I'd like to share with you from the Bible. Can we read 1 John chapter 4, verse 10? In this, in CCF, you will always hear this definition. And these are, this is one of the Bible verses that we draw this definition out from. Unconditional love is an unconditional commitment. It is directed towards imperfect people. It is seeking their highest good. 
and it often requires sacrifice. You will see this in this passage. Can you see it? In this is love, not that we love God, but God loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is the sacrifice that Jesus Christ did for our salvation. God was so committed that He sent His one and only Son. For whom? For you and I, who are imperfect. For what purpose? So that we could have the possibility of spending eternal life with Him in heaven. But the only way that we could do that as sinners was if somebody paid the price. Jesus sacrificed the ultimate for your salvation and mine. This morning, I would like for us to look at the attributes of God's love. Before we proceed, why don't we offer a word of prayer to the Lord? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence here. Thank you that we can sing songs of praise and worship unto your holy name. Thank you that we have the freedom to study your word. May your spirit, Lord, move in this place and in our hearts, Lord, and speak to all of us as we look at this thing that is called love. Father, may we learn what it is to have the love of God and to know the love of God in our hearts as we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Five points. God's, at, God's love is proactive, protective, perpetual, perfect, and personal. Yes, there are five points. If I'm not yet done by 2.30, please throw me out. I don't plan to go long. First, God's love is proactive. First John chapter 4, verse 19. What does it tell us? So how do you and I know what love is? We have ideas, we have concepts, we have definitions, but true agape love is demonstrated by God. And how do we know this? We know love because what? God first loved us. God's love is proactive. Human love is reactive. If you give me a gift, I give you a gift in return. That's reactive. Proactive love is, I'll give you a gift even if there's no occasion. Why? I want to express my love for you. Right? Romans 5 verse 8, But God demonstrates His own love towards us in that while we were yet, what? Sinners. What did God do? Christ died for us. God's proactive love does not wait for you and I to change before God will give us or lavish that love upon us. That's human. Magbago ka muna. Change first. This, 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 these are my conditions. If you meet these conditions, then I will love you. God's love is not the same. God's love is not like our love. God's love is in spite of your being sinners. I love you. In spite of your neglect for my constant communication to you, I will send my son Jesus and he will die for your sin even if you're undeserving. 
That's proactive. Not reactive. That is selfless. Not selfish. That is giving. Not taking. We know what love is because God first loved us. Second, it's protective. What? God's love is protective? Security guard? No. God's love is protective. Look, we sang about it a while ago. Look at Romans 8.28. What does it say? And we know. What? Can we read this? Does this verse, brothers and sisters, does this verse include even the bad things that happen to us? Yes. Does this verse include the good things that happen to us? All things. What does God do? He protects you with his love to the point that all things, the good and the bad, they will what? Come out for your good. For those who love God. For those who are called according to His purposes. God's love is proactive, but it is also protective. And in that protection, what has God decided to do? In verse 29, it says, For those whom He foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be firstborn among many brethren. God is so committed to you. God so wants to protect you that he wants to conform you to the image of his son. Now, many times we don't want the word conform. Why? I'm a free spirit. I want to do things my way. Live my Christian life my way. But there is a form. There is a shape. And it's called the likeness of Christ. And God our Father, protective as He is, wants us to be conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. His love is so protective that He wants to chip away at those that are not good for us. Those sin that we easily get entangled with. Perhaps even that boyfriend or girlfriend who does not share your faith. Because God wants you to enjoy married life. So God would in his protection, because his love is also proactive, he will not give you. Sometimes you're praying for something and you're asking, God, why aren't you answering my prayer? Have you not considered that God is probably withholding that because he's actually protecting you? All things will work out together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. But the process is that God wants to conform us to the image of his son, Jesus. We struggle, we fight with God, we debate with God, we argue with God because we don't want the process. But if you realize, if we realize that God is proactive and that His purposes are for your protection, 
then I submit to you that we could have a different perspective when God allows something adverse to happen in our lives. His love is so protective that the writer of Hebrews tells us, You have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. He scourges every son whom he receives. My daughter is here. She can attest. When they were a little younger, they're all practically grown up. I would tell her, I would tell Timmy, I would tell Lawrence, if I did not love you, I'll just let you be. But I need to exact certain disciplines for your good because I love you. If I did not love you, it's up to you. Live your lives. I don't care. But look at what the writer of Hebrews tells us. God disciplines what? Those he loves. If you understand that the heart of God is that he loves you, then discipline you will be able to receive. You will be able to confirm to yourself, I am a child of God. Because the Bible tells me that God disciplines those he loves. And if I'm not disciplined, uh-oh, am I really a child of God? I have to ask myself. The next verse tells us, it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom, whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate, not sons. Those of you who live in a close neighborhood, your neighbor's son or daughter is rowdy and doing all kinds of stuff. Can you go over there and discipline your neighbor's son? Yes, you can. But wait, 911. Yes, you can. With consequence. Why? Because they're not your children. If they're your children, you can discipline them. But if they're not, you can't. Look at the verse. God is affirming and confirming with each and every one of his children that you really belong to him. Because he would go to the point to take steps of disciplining you. To put you back on the right track. God's love is proactive and God's love is protective. God will accept you as is. But God in his love will not allow you to stay as you are. He wants to grow you up in the image and likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. It's a process. But know that at the heart of the process is God's love for you. Then you will be able to accept the discipline with joy. Well, you know, don't up, jump up and down. Yes, I'm being disciplined. Hallelujah. But you know, you can accept it. Wow. God really loves me so much that he's willing 
to correct my steps. God is making the first move. His love is proactive. God's love is protective. And God's love is perpetual. Your love never fails. It never runs out on me. Amen? Look at what Jeremiah writes. The Lord appeared to him from afar saying, what? I have loved you. Can we read this? I have loved you. Can somebody tell me when eternity past began or when eternity future will end? There is no end. That's why we call it eternity. There is no end to the future. That's why we still call it what? Eternity. And what did God tell each and every one of us in this room and everyone else who reads the Bible? Jeremiah, what does it say? I have loved you. With what? An everlasting love. Even if you yet have not known the love of God, God has already loved you with an everlasting love. And not only that, what is he doing? He's drawing you. You see that in the last part of the verse? He's drawing you. He's drawing us to himself. Why? Because he loves you. You have not yet been born. God already loves you. You've not done one good thing. God already loves you. Since eternity past, God loves you. And he loves you today. His love never ends. His love never fails. Romans 8. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is there anything that you know, anything or anyone that God did not create? If the answer is no, then believe that when you come to faith in Christ, nothing you can do can separate you from that love. Because it's a perpetual love. And that's kind of love that never changes. You cannot pay for it. You cannot buy it. You cannot earn it. Why? It's freely given. And God has been telling you time and time again, I love you. I love you. I love you. Come to me. All of you who are weary laden, and I will give you rest. This is God's love. Proactive. Protective. Perpetual. And this love is also perfect. My love for my wife, my love for my children, my love for you is not perfect. I will fail. I will fail you, you will fail me, we will fail each other. But God's love, it will never fail. It is perfect. And if you have the perfect love of God, you will never fear. Look at what it says in 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love. Agape. But perfect love, what? Casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment. And no one who fears 
is not perfected in love. The punishment for our sins, they fell on Jesus Christ. He himself bore our sins on his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. God's love is perfect. When you experience the love of God, there is nothing to fear. You need not fear death. You may fear how you will die. But death is just a transition from the natural to the eternal. It's my graduation day. And it's every believer's graduation day. The day that we don't have to wake up at 6 in the morning to get on the freeway, to get to church at 8.30 or 10 o'clock for worship service to begin. You know why? When that day comes, you and I will have nothing to do and nothing else to do but worship the King of kings and Lord of lords. So why aren't we practicing now? Why aren't we practicing now? We should practice worshiping God every day, every moment, in every way that we can possibly do. When I'm driving on the road and in my car, I can listen to godly music and listen to preaching on the radio. So many things. I should not be afraid because fear has to do with punishment. And my punishment fell upon the holy shoulders of Jesus Christ. And I have nothing to fear. Fear is from the devil. Doubt is from the devil. Love God because his love is perfect. And his love holds no fear. Fear has to deal with punishment. Pastor Danny preached on this from weeks ago. For he himself said, I will what? Never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Look at verse 6. So that we can what? Confidently say that the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What's the last line? What can man do to me? Nothing. Man cannot do anything to any of God's children unless God allows it. And if God allows it, it has a divine and loving purpose. Because God's love is perfect. Yes, you are his child. He accepts you as he's where he is, but he will not let you stay as he's where he is. Because he wants you to be conformed to the image of his son. God's love is proactive. God's love is, what's the next? The other one? Oh, you fell asleep on me already, man. Okay, God's love is proactive. God's love is protective. God's love is perpetual. God's love is perfect. Lastly, oh, somebody's keeping track, praise God. God's love is personal. God's love is personal. How many of you know President Obama? You don't know who President Obama is? Man, are we in the U.S.? I know who President Obama is, but I don't know him personally. Catch my drift. I know of him, but I don't know him. God's love is personal. 
Matthew 16. Jesus is preaching to the crowds. And he was asking his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist. Others, Elijah. But still others said, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So this was the response of his disciples. What is the maddening crowd saying about who the Son of Man is? So this was their response. And then Jesus looks at Peter and he asks this. But who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? The personal pronoun, you. And one of them replied, Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I didn't put it on here, but Jesus told Peter, What you have just said has come from the Father. Who do they say Jesus Christ is? That's a question. But I submit to you the more important question is, who is Jesus Christ to you? Who do you say Jesus Christ is? In John 15, verse 13, says greater no love greater love has no one than this the one that laid down his life for his friend isn't that a personal statement that he would lay down his life for his friends you see God is not just God Jesus is not just God, Jesus wants to be your friend. Jesus wants to be your personal Savior. Jesus calls you to be his friend. It's something personal. And we all know, I'm assuming this. If I'm mistaken, forgive me. But I assume that each and every one of us know John 3.16, right? And what does it say? The world, that's too big of a concept. But if you put your name on the blank, doesn't that change the meaning of the passage? For God so loved, and then put your name. The world is so big, I don't know how many billions of people there are. But God is a personal God. And he wants you to fill in your name in that blank. For God so loved, put your name, that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, so that your name would believe in him and your name 
you can have what? Eternal life. Doesn't that make a huge difference in how you read that passage? Because God's love is personal. It is so personal that he extends a personal invitation. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. The creator of the universe is such a gentleman that he stands outside and he knocks and he's waiting for the, other, the person on the other side of the door to make the move because he's already made the move. His love is proactive. His love is Second, protective. His love is? His love is? But his love is personal. You can know about God. But you have to know God. One of the earliest verses I, I, I came to grips with, my son was, our eldest boy was about maybe about 10 years old. And God woke me up in the middle of the night. And he showed me a verse. And it says, you diligently study scripture thinking that by them you will be saved. These are the scriptures that speak of me, yet you refuse to come to me to have eternal life. Bible study is good. Going to church is good. But beloved, you need to come to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He is inviting you to share a meal, a very intimate meal. Brother Nat celebrated his birthday yesterday. I don't know if you were invited. <laughs> I know I was not invited. <laughs> okay, we are all invited to have lunch after the service. But you see, look at God's promise. Look at his promise. Jesus is saying, I'm inviting anyone and everyone to come. And I will eat with him. We'll talk about life over this meal. Now, let's be honest. You don't just ask anybody from the street, come, let's have a meal. Maybe you give them a dollar to buy them a coffee at 7-Eleven or something. But you don't want intimate relationship with them. You just, sometimes you just want to get them off your back. This is not the case with Jesus. Come. Let us dine together. God says in the Psalms, come, let us reason together. Let's talk about life. What are your problems? What are your hurts? I'll take care of them. And oh, by the way, your biggest problem, I have already solved for you. Your greatest need, which is salvation, I have already provided for you. Will you come? I can't respond for somebody else. I can only respond for myself. It's not by osmosis. Because if it were, then 
this defeats the very principle that God's love is personal. Going to church, being part of CCF will not save you. Going to a midweek Bible studies, they will not save you. Only Jesus Christ can save you. And you must make that move. For God, as big as he is, as magnificent as he is, as glorious as he is, to take residence in your small heart. My question today, have you personally experienced God's love for you. Not for your neighbor. Not for your spouse. For you. Valentine's is all about love. But may I say, true Valentine's is really all about God's love for you. Are you willing to accept his proposal? Unless and until you accept his proposal, God cannot be the personal God that he so desires for you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Are you willing to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord? If you are willing, Jesus is telling you, He is willing as well. Maybe in your own words, you can ask him something like this. First, admit, Lord, I am a sinner. I do not deserve your grace. I deserve the penalty of my sins, which is death, but that punishment fell upon Jesus. I understand now that it is only a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that can save me from the penalty of my sins. And in faith, this morning, I open the door of my heart. And I invite you, Lord Jesus, to be my personal Lord and Savior. I thank you for giving up your life. You died so that I might live. Thank you, Lord God, that your love is a perfecting love. That you will not allow me to stay as I am. But you will change me from the inside out to be kind to to become the kind of Christian that you want me to be. It is my prayer, Lord God, as I thank you that you will conform me to become more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, for you are now my personal Savior and I'm now looking forward to the day that I will spend the rest of eternity with you. Thank you for loving me in spite of who I am, in spite 
of what I have done to you. Thank you for the forgiveness that you paid for with your precious blood. I proclaim you as my personal Lord and Savior from this day and for the rest of eternity. In Jesus' name, we all pray and everyone said, Amen and Amen. Many of us spend time on a date. May I encourage you? Go on a date with Jesus. Spend time with Him. Spend time in reading His Word. Spend time listening to Him as He talks to you. Go out on a date with Jesus. It won't cost you a dime. He's paid even for the day. Now, we'd like to dismiss the young people. You know, they have a lot of energy, so they're going somewhere else. We'd like to dismiss the young people to their own discussion groups. But the rest of us, we stay here, and we have breakout into our own small groups. And I have three discussion questions for us. How has God's love changed your life? Do you know anyone who needs to experience the love of God? And lastly, how can you share God's love with this person? Isn't that going to be proactive? That you would try to figure something out to help share God's love with someone who doesn't know about Jesus. All right? So we'll break out into our discussion groups. And after a while, maybe 15, 20 minutes or so, we all, uh, Brother Nat? Oh, no, no, no. This is the regular. We have lunch, but it's not on Brother Nat, okay? So praise God and break out into your own groups. Thank you. God bless.